Acts 27, starting in verse 39. Just a little Selah. We will be starting our sermon there. In this life, we have so many opportunities, don't we, to trust God or to doubt God. Uh, We can be so distracted by trouble that we forget his power, we forget his promises. It's a calm sea that can suddenly become dangerous, like we heard about last week. But God remains faithful and trustworthy. He doesn't change. There's so much about how we feel that changes. We can be really happy and then be really down. But God remains true, and his word is trustworthy. And I love how God delivers his people in many unexpected ways. I think of Joseph. He's a great example of a guy who was sold into slavery by his brothers, separated from his dad and mom who loved him. And God enabled him to interpret dreams, and after many years, he becomes second in command of all Egypt. That's quite unexpected that you would be elevated to such a status, not just to make him ruler according to God's word, but so that he could save the nation and he could deliver Israel and his family from the famine that would come. And when it seemed like the Israelites would be enslaved indefinitely and they cried out to God for hundreds of years, God sent Moses and delivered his people from Egypt with 10 miraculous plagues. Again, very unexpected that they would plunder their captors. And then... When it seemed the people were trapped between the Red Sea and the pursuing Egyptian army, God caused the sea to part and they walked through on dry ground. Again, a miraculous deliverance. And God just does that. He He delivers us in unexpected ways. And while our lives may not be played out on this epic grand scale, we can identify with the fact that God has protected us. He has provided for us. He has heard our cries. And even if we're in the midst of the storm, or we've come through the storm, we can say God has saved, he has delivered, he has forgiven, and he has helped me thus far. Jesus can still the storm. He also can allow a storm. He can save despite the storm. And that's what we are in the midst of now with Paul and his mates, 275 other men as they're tempest-tossed in the Mediterranean, what should have been a half day or could have been a half day trip turned into a four, 14 day being driven up and down the sea. Lost all bearings, had no idea where they were going. They've lightened the ship. They're just at the mercy of merciless winds. It says that they had given up all hope that they would be saved. And yet God sent an angel to speak to Paul. And he in turn uh, encouraged the rest of the men to say, We're going to be saved, though we're going to be uh, running aground on a certain island. God is sovereign. He is over all, and we can trust him. Praise the Lord that even in dark times, his light can shine through you. God used Paul, and he can use you too. He can use me in ways, in unexpected situations and in difficult times, so he can be praised. Why don't we pray? Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and true. And your word does not fail, and you are eternal and awesome. Thank you for the privilege of calling you Father and for it being true. Thank you for your word that guides us. Thank you for your spirit who fills us and guides us into all truth. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us today to hear what you have to say to each one, that we would trust you, we would cry out to you, we would not doubt 
or be discouraged, but we would uh, fix our eyes upon you and our hearts would be established in the love and the praise of our almighty King, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts 27, verse 39. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where the where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. The storm's been going for 14 days. They're sensing they're getting close to land. They cast out the lead. They do some soundings, and, and land is indeed getting closer. So they had dropped anchors from the stern, waiting for the day. And when day came, they could see that, all right, there is land, and there's a place where we can land this ship. We can run it aground. Um, and so instead of pulling up the anchors, they just left them behind. They cut them off, and they loosed the rudder ropes. It's likely a ship of this size would have had some... You would use ropes to move the rudder, but also ropes to keep it in place so it wasn't being bashed around in the violence of the waves. Um, so they hoisted the mainsail, and they just make a beeline in this storm for shore. And all of a sudden, the ship just lurches to a halt, They've run aground, and it says the back of the ship was just being broken apart, pummeled by the waves. And you see why they didn't want to be running aground. Because if you're on the top of the water, you're kind of flowing, and there's bobbing on the waves. But as soon as you become stationary, well, the power of all those waves are hitting a big surface, and it started just tearing it apart. That's why they tried to do everything to prevent this from happening. But this is what happens. God had said, you're going to run aground. And lo and behold, they ran aground. Verse 42, And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. The night before, when the, the sailors had been letting down those anchors, they had hoped to escape on the skiff, but Paul had foiled their plans. He says, hey, unless these remain in the ship, you can't be saved. So the centurion said, hey, cut it away. So they cut the skiff, let it go away. But now the soldiers, they have a scheme too. They're like, well, we need to off all these prisoners, have a mass execution, because they were guarding those prisoners with their own lives. If one of those prisoners was to escape, well, they would be punished for that. And uh, most of them had a death sentence upon them anyway, so they were quite expendable. And frankly, this is a, something that the, the centurion might in other situations have commanded himself. But because of Paul's sake and wanting to save Paul, he's like, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to kill everybody. Uh, those, who can't, those who can swim, jump overboard, and everyone else find pieces of the ship and wreckage and go to shore. The, those pieces of wreckage are called flotsam, by the way. So you've heard of flotsam and jetsam? Well, jetsam is when you actually throw it overboard on purpose, like to lighten the ship. And then flotsam is what is debris or pieces broken that you would find to go on. And, and it, it makes a difference modern day considering salvaging a ship. 
whether it was intentionally thrown overboard or part of your property that was destroyed, you can still lay a claim to that. So this was big business in those days when you would have shipwrecks and things washing ashore. Well, whose is it? And so depending on how it was disposed of, it would be, so this is just an aside, but um, but as God promised, it came true. And it's funny, you know, some of these people could not swim. And even though they could not swim, God got them safely to shore, even though they were run aground. And that seems impossible. It was impossible. God is so faithful to keep his word. There's many times we read of Paul being hated and other Christians being hated for the stand they took in trusting God and following Jesus. But here we see Paul find favor in the sight of the centurion when he had been very overt and direct concerning his faith in God. Not only Paul was saved, but he was responsible. God used him in the salvation of the others. He prayed for them. And God said, I've heard your prayer and I've given you every soul on that ship. They're all going to be saved. And then we see the centurion uh, showing Paul grace and favor and that passing on to the rest as well, where they weren't killed. It wasn't like, all right, save Paul, the rest I don't care about. He's like, no, I want to save Paul, but everybody. So there was this covering place and a protection upon the people. And this shows that one person that trusts God can be the difference between life and death, not only for themselves, but for others. And that's really powerful. We see it all throughout Scripture, where you have Abraham. He prays to God about Sodom and the surrounding cities and talked with God. And God said, all right, if there's only 10 righteous in all the cities, I will not punish them. I won't overthrow them. We have one young foreign prisoner, Joseph. He had a relationship with the true God. And the nation of Egypt was spared in the famine, as was his own family. One young shepherd boy was willing to fight the champion from Gath, and he saved his nation from slavery, and God brought about a great victory. I mean, there's tons of illustrations. You've got Daniel. The the king knew that all the... The wise men and sorcerers were charlatans, and he said, tell me my dream. And they go, we, we don't know your dream. Tell us the dream. We'll tell you what it means. No, no, you tell me what I dreamed, because I know you guys are just trying to buy more time. He starts to execute them, and Daniel, a righteous man, he hears about this and says, whoa, give us time. Let's pray. He prayed, and God gave the answer, and that execution was stayed. One reluctant prophet named Jonah finally ended up going to Nineveh as God had commanded. And through his testimony, the entire city was saved. All the animals, too. Jesus came as Son of Man and Son of God. He laid down his life on Calvary so that we could be redeemed, that we could be bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Paul made a difference on that ship. The ship would run aground and be destroyed but it was because of the God to whom he belonged and whom he served that made the difference. So one person on that ship made a huge difference. And God has you sovereignly in a ship or in a situation where he wants to impart his light and his love and his truth to that, to bring life to those who don't have it. And we can lose sight of this in the midst of the storm when everything's going crazy and we don't know where we're heading and we don't know what's happening and we don't want it to be happening, but there you are. And God can, through you, make a difference by his grace. A critical impact. God answers prayers of his people. 
continuing to chapter 28. Now, when they had escaped, then they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled the fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. That's quite a swing. The sailors hadn't recognized the land from the sea, and after arrival, they realized it's called Malta or Melita. Um, Almost a thousand kilometers from the port in Crete. So in 14 days, they had gone a thousand Ks and landed actually closer to their destination, which is really miraculous. They likely learned this from the inhabitants, the natives or the barbarians who lived there. The Greek word used there for natives is the word from which we get barbarian, not meaning that they were uncivil or, uh, um, you know, ignorant but that they did not speak Greek. Greek was not part of their customs. They were likely a Phoenician people, uh, and maybe Latin was the main language. They were able to communicate. So they weren't uncivilized. It says that they showed them uh, really, un- a really great amount of kindness because it was raining and cold. It's like they welcomed their guests. The natives are credited with kindling the fire, but we see Paul is willing to work. This example of being servant of all was set by Christ and Paul. He just set about doing this practical thing to gather up some sticks. And I'm blessed to say that we can see displayed that same heart in so many of the folks who minister here, who serve in in all kinds of ways, whether it's cleaning and nobody knows about it, uh, but we all enjoy having a clean building. And uh, those who give and those who pray, how powerful your influence and impact is. Praise the Lord for that. So Paul, he's laying a bundle of sticks on the fire. A viper, it's a bit warmed up now from the heat, and it just latches onto his hand. Uh, Not a defensive bite. Those fangs sunk in. It was dangling there. Um, Suspended, it seems, for a little while, long enough for the natives to make a judgment about Paul. Right? They're like, you see that? They're talking to each other. Wow. You know, the, the snake is just hanging off of his hand. And they say, this man's escaped the sea, but he must be a bad man. Justice doesn't allow him to live. He must be a murderer, awful man. I mean, it was bad enough to be shipwrecked, but now bitten by a snake. He just must deserve this. Uh, it, it seems that Paul has no real reaction at all. He does not panic. He just shakes the snake off into the fire. And shaking off a snake is not the prescribed method if you've got a snake that's latched onto you and is not letting go. Uh, if you're curious, a little bit of Listerine uh, is, is usually a very good deterrent. It will make a, a snake that latches on let go. Uh, or even if you're really brave, blowing in its face. I don't know if you want to put your face close to the face of the snake, but that uh, that's a way to get it to come off. But he just shakes it off into the fire. So 
Now Paul's a marked man. They're like, oh, did you see that? Wow, murderer, bad guy. And, and yet he seems to have no ill effect. They're waiting for that hand. They're watching that hand, and they're waiting for it to just balloon up. They're just waiting for him to keel over. It doesn't happen. He seems to have no ill effects. So they go, well, I guess he's a god. He must be a god. As natives, it shows us our very poor judges of character, as we can be too. At first, they assume he must be bad, a murderer because of what's happened to him. But then, because he seems to be impervious to it, he's a god. Both times, way off. (laughs) We can fall into the same trap of thinking that we know something about someone or make a judgment based upon appearances of their character or their intelligence or any number of things based upon a short interaction with them or the circumstances in which they find themselves. It seems that their opinions were as fluid as the Jews who one day were singing hosannas to Jesus as he came into Jerusalem, but then were shouting, crucify him, let his blood be upon us and our children. So there's this huge flip in their mindset, just like these natives. Interestingly, if they had said, Paul, you're a murderer, he probably would have owned it to an extent because he had said, you know, I hated Christians. I pursued them and I approved of their murder. But that wasn't why he was bitten by a snake or why he was shipwrecked. It was so the glory of God could be revealed through him. It was so God could use him aboard this ship and bring the gospel to Malta, where he is still credited to this day by bringing Christianity there, by bringing Christ among them. God had promised to Paul, you will testify of me in Rome. And so no shipwreck, no snake bite, nothing was going to hinder him from accomplishing what God had said. Would you agree that the the natives, though kind, their sense of justice was a bit skewed? Right? Pretty, Pretty skewed. They didn't have any facts, but they just said, oh, he's bad. Notice that they were kind, but their kindness did not eliminate their sinful judgments, these assumptions and thoughts that were sinful. Notice what they did not do. They helped kindle the fire, but when he was bitten, they offered, knowing a viper and knowing the side effects, there was no effort to inform him. There was no first aid offered or any sort of treatment whatsoever. Now, it could be that there was no treatment. Uh, Fair enough, but we don't see them interacting with Paul at all. They're just talking amongst themselves about how bad he is and let's just wait and see what happens. Maybe to offer, if indeed he was being punished by the gods, they would bring judgment upon themselves if they tried to help. So they were like, you know, let's just see what happens. Being judgmental, it robbed them of compassion. We don't see any evidence of compassion there. It's very easy to view others with a judgmental, uh, to view others as judgmental. And you know, that's a judgment. Like, oh, he's so judgmental. Oh, hello. <laughs> you know, he, 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 yeah, you, you have the same thing going on right now. It's so natural for us that we make judgments without even knowing it. Now, we are called to judge righteously. But often we assume the worst about others. And we can quickly form opinions because of one interaction we had or something they said or, or it could be anything. How many times 
have your initial, you, you gotten to, to know someone well enough that you realized your initial impression about them was incorrect. I can say many times where my initial observations and my feelings about someone were way off. And we've all done that, where we've almost deified someone who turned out to be just rotten, or we have demonized people who are loving and kind and really sincere. We just didn't know it at the beginning because of how we were affected by that interaction. So let's be willing to say that, like those natives, we've sinfully judged people so we can repent and leave divine justice to God uh, and revenge in his hands. And in using righteous judgment, often that means not making a judgment. Not even, I'm not going to make an opinion about that because I don't know. I'm going to trust the Lord. And I'm going to keep loving that person. Snake bite, shipwrecked or not. Verse 7. In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. In that area where they came ashore, there was a man named Publius, who was a leading citizen of the land. It means of the public or of the people. And he must have been a man of great means to host and entertain 276 men for three days, just uh, without any preparation. Like it's like, all right, come on over, stay at my place. Two hundred and seventy-six people. Um, so he had great wealth and status among the people of Malta. But we see his father; he had this grave illness. It says that Paul went to him, prayed, laid his hands on him, and healed him. Healing caused others who were diseased to come when they heard that Paul had healed him. And this new area of ministry suddenly opens up on this, to them, maybe a random place where Paul had not planned on going there. This was not an intended stop, but they had run aground. And yet he's able to minister, he's able to pray with people, and people are being healed. Praise the Lord. This was unexpected to Paul, but it was known by God what he would accomplish. If you could please turn in your Bibles to Mark 16, 17 through 18, we see that this situation is a bit of a fulfillment of what Jesus promised before he ascended to the Father. So Mark 16, starting in verse 17. Jesus said, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. When Jesus said this, he doesn't qualify it. He doesn't limit it to the apostles or just a period in church history or saying this is just going to be confirmed within the early church. And this, these are not all, they're not a to-do list that we can ascertain our own spirituality or prove to others how spiritual we are. Um, we're not to crusade against, you know, demons or to handle venomous snakes as a show of our 
you know, hey, I can, I can touch this snake because God says that. And so we're testing the Lord, really, in trying to show how spiritual we are or how great my faith is. Um, drinking poison. Jesus was simply stating that those that genuinely believe in him and trust in him will have his power manifested in and through them, that it would be evident in these ways. These were signs pointing to something, not the spirituality of the person, but the reality and the power of Jesus Christ in that person. So that's the point of these signs. It's not so someone go, oh, well, I'm good because I've, I've, I've done this. Oh, have you? Like, this is something we need God to do, right? And these are signs. Like, if you could say, um, what sign would be a good one to help someone realize that Jesus is the Christ? I wouldn't come up with this list. It's a, it's a, quite an odd list, really. Uh, but God, these are signs that he's said. These are signs that will follow. Not limited to, but these are some of the things that will uh, be seen. And we see that in Paul's life. Better than asking, why don't we see so many of these signs today? I don't know a lot of people who are drinking poison to, you know, show their spirituality. Um, but better to ask ourselves, do I believe the words of Jesus Christ? Do I believe him when he says this? Jesus said that a perverse and rebellious generation seeks after a sign because they sought signs when Jesus is standing in front of them talking with them. Jesus, who was born of a virgin, who expounded the words as of Scripture like nobody else, who did signs and wonders, they're like, show us another sign so we can believe. You know, miracles does not make believers. Jesus did many miracles. He did more miracles than that would fill all the books that had ever been written. However, only some believed. They would not believe in him, therefore they would not believe the signs when they saw them. They had to believe in him first. And if you don't believe the words of Jesus, we don't believe these signs could be genuine, and we certainly won't expect to see them in us. Do you believe that people can be infested with demons? Do you believe God causes people to speak with tongues and interpretations? Do you believe that by simply trusting God and praying for somebody, they will be healed, they will recover? Our actions often say we don't really believe. We do believe, theoretically. But a lot of times we lean on our own understanding. We think we know the way that things should go. We, we look to doctors and, and we want to pray after the anti-venom doesn't seem to be working, right? Then it's the time to pray. But, and I'm not saying that we should pray and not seek the help of doctors. God has given us doctors and medicines. But, let us seek the Lord and trust him that through that doctor or without the doctor, he can do a healing work. God doesn't empower believers to bail us out of trials or to make us famous, but to reveal his presence and power and to confirm his word. Now, signs, that's a pretty complex and personal issue to sort through. We see them in the Bible. Um, you may have experienced some miraculous events in your life. But when it comes to doing signs, I mean, I, as a kid, I would read the Bible and, and like say, I'm going to do that right now. I remember I probably told the story before, but, but I, I love the story when Elijah gets those prophets of Baal and he calls down fire from heaven. I'm like, that would be awesome. So I built a small altar out of rocks and I put some pine needles on it. I didn't even think of a sacrifice. I mean, I wasn't going to put the dog on it. Uh, and, and I was like, Lord, fire from heaven. 
oh, it didn't happen. Oh, well, you know, maybe someday it will. I mean, because that would be cool. Now, God in his grace didn't let me, like, catch the whole yard and house on fire because I wasn't even thinking about that. I I did do the moat with some water, but I didn't, uh, you know, I was a child. (laughs) But I think in us we need to maintain that belief that, you know, God has power to do everything in our lives and in this world what he does in the Bible because this is true. I exhort you, brothers and sisters, to believe what Jesus says. This is what he says. You may never have seen one of these things. You may have never seen it. You're like, I haven't seen it. I don't know if that's true. But as a believer, expect God's word to be fulfilled in your life. Don't just expect to someday see it. Expect God to do it through you. Like that you would have a part in that because you believe God. He says those who believe their signs that follow them. So if you believe Jesus, well, signs should follow you as well. Who can say what they will be or how they will be manifested, but believe that God will do miraculous things through your life because you believe in Jesus. And that when you pray for somebody, it's going to make a difference because you're speaking to the almighty God. Paul believed he would be brought to Rome and no shipwreck No viper and no sick man was going to prevent that. Did you see what the man was sick with? It says uh, in the King James, the bloody flux. Okay, he was like passing bloody diarrhea. It It was a very deadly disease and he had a fever, contagious. Paul goes into him. I don't know who would want to, but he goes in that man's room And he goes by his bedside and he lays his hands on him and he prays. And that man was healed. He believed God. He trusted God. Paul did not plan to be shipwrecked on Malta. He didn't go, all right, let's find some sick people. Let's do some stuff so people will come to Jesus. No, he was just doing basic things. He was gathering sticks. He's bit by a snake. God saves his life. Then he hears about a sick man and he goes and he visits him and he prays with him and God heals him. The things that Paul did, they were totally natural, but God used in supernatural ways. Do you believe that signs and gifts and the fruit of the Spirit, they're God's will for your life today? Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, don't be surprised if you don't see them in your life or recognize them as being genuine in someone else, though they occur daily without number. I mean, our God only does marvelous things. Now, Jesus' words in Mark 16, it did not end in a cliffhanger. Verse 19, it says, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. And this is a big challenge. Because these signs, as they worked with the Lord, so the Lord's like, all right, yoke fellow, come alongside with me, let's walk together. They walked with the Lord. And as they preached, as they shared the word, God did signs to confirm the word that they had spoken. We like to help people without saying much about Jesus at all. We can be satisfied for people to feel less pain, to have 
uh, their sickness relieved or their situation improved, but sharing Christ and the truth of the scripture is not always our primary objective. It's almost kind of secondary. Like if we get to that, that's fine, but that really needs to be primary, that we would know the word of God and we would share the truth with them. And then these signs as God wills will confirm the word that was spoken. Because Jesus sat on the throne in heaven, having all authority in heaven and on earth, those who believed on him, they spread the word, God worked with them, and he did wonders through them. Man desires power, but we don't always work with the Lord. Paul had to go out. I was convicted by like, you know what? I prefer to stay in rather than going out. Anyone can identify with that? I prefer staying in. Like if it's like, are you going to stay in or go out? I'm like, I'd, I'd prefer to stay in. But they went out. <laughs> so they went out. And, and we prefer not to be so direct. Paul was direct. Jesus was direct. We, we hope that we don't want to be preachy. They'll just pick up something from our demeanor or something that happens that will kind of clue them in and make them curious. That, that we're different and better in some way. Instead of, I mean, let's be honest, instead of praying publicly, speaking of Jesus openly, saying, an angel from God appeared to me and said this. Like, that's pretty direct. That's straightforward. It says, and I know this is going to happen. We're on a stormy ship, but we're going to be saved after we run aground. And not one person's going to perish. And just not like, I'm thinking, perhaps, maybe. I mean, he just came out and said it, and God did it. And it was because Paul's idea, and God's like, well, i got to follow along with what he said. Paul was working with the Lord, and Paul, he was being led by the Lord in what he said. So may we have that heart to be yielded to what God is saying and to trust God, to believe what he says. If God says that these signs will follow those who believe, and you believe, is there a desire Is there room for them in your life? Back to Acts 28, verse 10. May we be brought to a place where we say, Lord, if you want to do a sign through me, you have my, I invite you to and I permit you and I rejoice in whatever you choose to do, however you choose to use me. Even on a ship, even with a snake bite, even with sick people, Whatever you want, Lord, I am yours. Verse 10, they also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Pitioli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. So we went toward Rome, and from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Api Forum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Paul and his other shipmates, they were seen as a godsend by Publius and the natives. They provided for their needs, honoring them in many ways. God's grace, which would have been difficult to spot perhaps in the storm, for those 14 days was evident for months as they remained in Malta. 
Paul, the soldiers and crew, they stayed for three months. So three months in Malta. And it turned out that there was an Alexandrian vessel that had safely wintered at the island, that same island that they had run aground on. And they boarded that vessel to begin the trip to Rome. Isn't it amazing? They were shipwrecked on an island that actually had a ship that was there wintering when they arrived. And those 14 days of being driven around a 1,000 kilometers from where they were actually brought them much closer to their destination. If they had missed Malta and continued on, they would have been going for a long time. Haven't done the maths, but there was really nothing out there. This was a perfect place to shipwreck. So even when we're in a storm and we feel like we're losing ground or losing our way, God's able to bring us closer to his intended destination. Let's take courage and comfort from our Lord who's sovereign over all. I was reading The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges, and there was a passage that I came across that fits so well. I was like, I've got to share that. It was talking about different sins that we need to be on guard against. It says, another defilement of spirit that has shipwrecked many Christians is bitterness. Bitterness arises in our hearts when we do not trust in the sovereign ruler of God in our lives. That's where bitterness comes from, because we don't trust God, that he is sovereign. He is in control. He has all power, and he's good. He's always working things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. There's a cliche that says you become, you can become bitter or better. It's catchy but inaccurate because better is not the opposite of bitter. It's better to repent of our sin of bitterness and actually start trusting the Lord, that he is ruling and controlling, and the things that he allows, he will work for good. The remainder of this voyage, as it's described, bears very little resemblance to the slow, difficult, you know, with much difficulty they did this, and with great difficulty they did that. It's like, and not months of time, it's just days. They're like, oh yeah, the wind was blowing, and we're just here one day, there the next day, and it was just, it seems like pretty easy, pretty simple. And they were, along the way, Paul's able to spend time with Christians. He's meeting up with other Christians, and they're spending days together, and When the brethren in Rome hear of Paul and his companions' arrival, they came a great distance to welcome them. Epiphorum was about 70 Ks from Rome, and the three taverns about 53 Ks away. And in that culture, if there was an emperor or an important official who was visiting a city, people would go out to meet them at a distance and escort them back. So they wouldn't just come into the city alone. They would have an escort bringing them in and supplying their needs. And um, There's no mention in Scripture of Paul ever going to Rome before. Now, he had written a letter, the book of Romans, a few years before when he was in Corinth. And he knew a lot of people who were in Rome because he had met them during his travels and they had gone to Rome. And when Paul saw the believers who came from Rome to escort him in, He just thanked God. He was full of just, oh, man, this is awesome. God's word is coming true, and I'm seeing it. I'm seeing that word fulfilled. And just to be accepted and loved by those brothers, uh, it gave him great courage. It was just another step of God answering his prayer. And I want to read you something that he wrote in his letter to the Romans a few years before in Romans 1530. 
He says, now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. God answered that prayer. And he's like, right on. Praise the Lord. What courage he took. And he prayed something years before, and we see it just being laid out here point by point. The Lord did it. How awesome it is to see God answer the prayers of those who cry out to him. God had delivered Paul from those who didn't believe in Judea. He had made that ministry in Jerusalem effective. And he brought him with joy, despite shipwreck, to Rome, as he had promised. Now, it's our practice to celebrate communion together and remember the sacrifice of our Savior. And I I wanted to... uh, to turn to a passage of a prayer that Jesus uttered um, in John chapter 17, if you'll turn there. Now, this is a prayer that Jesus prayed before he laid down his life on Calvary. Now, for a moment, if you can, try to put yourself in the position of the disciples, these apostles that he had called. And they believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He believed They believed he was the King, the Messiah. And they had an idea about how this should look. That this is a perfect time for Jesus to prove himself again. Through his teaching, through his miracles, the day of Pentecost, excuse me, the day of the Passover is at hand. There's a huge group of Jews that have come from all over the nation to assemble and keep the feast. What better time for Jesus to be glorified What better time for him to shine and to show that he is the Messiah. He is the king. And they're thinking, man, we're going to be right by his side when he is enthroned. When he's got the crown on his head and the royal robes on, the scepter in his hand. It's going to be awesome when everyone sees that he is the king. He is the Messiah. And this is what he prays before being glorified in a totally different way through death and resurrection. John 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You're hearing this and you're like, right on. Yes, God, do it. (laughs) Do it. Glorify Jesus. And he did through his betrayal and his being beaten and being killed on the cross, being crucified. Not in the way that they expected. On the cross, he wore that crown of thorns and he had no garments to hide his nakedness. And he prayed from the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And for three hours, the sun, though midday, did not shine. 
as the light of the world shone in the darkness. And when he breathed his last, the Bible says the earth was shaken and the veil was torn from top to bottom. But that was not the end because Jesus rose three days later glorified. If you continue down to verse 20, we see that we come into the picture as those who are made to glorify him. Almost answers to his prayer. Verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you sent me and I have, and have loved them as you have loved me. Through the gospel, we, seem this, we share the same heavenly father as Jesus. When he said, our father in heaven, we can call that same father, father in truth. By redemption, by the forgiveness through his blood, we are one in Christ as Jesus is with the father. That is, that is so close. Being one, it's not even close, it's beyond close because you're made one in the church that Jesus has purchased. And we're made one to an end. It says that the world may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that we would be perfected, that we're loved by God even as Jesus is. Because we know that God loved his Son, but he loves us too, to that same degree, that active, infinite love. And we see that demonstration on the cross when he shed his blood for lost sinners that we could be redeemed and made new. And I pray that God would continue to answer this prayer that Jesus prayed in our lives, that we would see this fulfilled, that the glory that was upon Jesus, his glory would be seen in us. Just like Paul, just doing menial tasks like gathering sticks, somehow a miracle came out of that. God preserved him, going to meet that sick man. And God delivered him. And then taking courage as God continued him on that path to where he was leading. May we may God's glory be seen in us as we trust him. In, even in the midst of a storm. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you are so filled with love and grace toward us all, that you've given us such mercy, you've extended such compassion to us while we were dead in sins, while we were deserving of death, you have come and you have saved us by your grace. Thank you for this living illustration we see in the life of Paul, that though he was tempest-tossed, you heard his prayer, and through him you did great things. For your glory, Lord, and I pray that those signs would follow us who believe, even as Jesus uh, did many signs, Lord, to confirm the word that was spoken. Lord, may our life be a sign through the love, the grace, the kindness, the patience, the fruits of the Spirit, giftings of the Spirit, that we would be your ambassadors, Lord, your children who are bold to speak plainly about the life that we have in Jesus and the love that you have poured out upon us abundantly in our Savior Jesus. Lord, I pray for young people and older alike that we would believe what you have said 
and that we would trust you. We would trust your sovereignty. We would not doubt. We would not be afraid. We would lay that aside. Lord, any bitterness in our hearts, please purge us and make us clean and cause us to rejoice and praise the name of our Savior who lives forever. And thank you that we are one in Christ and that you have a purpose and plan for even the trials you allow. That through us you might show your glory to this world that they'll know that Jesus is the Son of God, our Messiah and King. Thank you, Lord. As we receive um, of these elements, the bread and the cup, we pray we would be proclaimers of your death till you come. That your love would be demonstrated through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we're uh, singing this song, you're all welcome to come up and partake of the bread and the cup. And we'll just, I'll lead in a prayer so we can all partake together. Let's just thank our Lord and rejoice in him.